Oh, I like that bottle. Hello, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Morted Muse podcast. If anybody wants to contact me, my email address is jim at themaltedmuse.com and there's the website themaltedmuse.com where there's some more information, some links and the contact form if you prefer to contact me in that way. Now talking about forms, I had to fill out a form the other week, a little thing in England known as the census and it caused me to consider my ethnicity. I was born in Hampshire. I was raised in Hampshire. Both my parents are from the south coast of England. I am what is known as a hog. That is someone from Hampshire, a name that comes from a beast called the Hampshire hog. Despite my southern English roots, I've always considered my heritage to be Celtic. And why not? Raised in a country that's been so influenced by Celtic tradition, not work, standing stones, pagan-based holidays. Even the houses at my school were named after aspects of King Arthur. And for some time now I've had an interest in Celtic art, Celtic music. But despite this, I find that each week on these podcasts I have to apologise for my mispronunciation of names and words that have evolved from Celtic roots. And that is just shameful. Well this week I'm going to be free from this embarrassment as I doubt we're going to come across such names. This week I'm going to be looking at Japanese whiskey. Ah, Look I may as well apologize now just assume that I'm going to say all the names wrong. I'm sorry about that. If I can't manage Celtic based names How on earth am I going to cope with Japanese-based names? Now, with Japan at the moment, there's a massive elephant in the room, and everyone is talking about it. I'm talking about earthquake, tsunami, radiation. There are things that dominate the news and the attention. Japan is in the need of help and there are ways of giving that help and I would really urge anybody to to find their own way of helping Japan at the moment and following it. At the end of this podcast I'm going to give some details about how people can do that. There is a book at the moment just coming out called Drinking Japan written by Chris Bunting. Now Chris has agreed to give half the money he makes from that book to Japan. But he's doing this in an honest way because he states that this book was made prior to the disasters and he felt bad about making more money due to the attention on Japan at the moment and to ease his mind he's decided to make this gesture. And I applaud him for his honesty and I also applaud him for that gesture. And I agree with him when he says that the best way to donate is to do so direct. The book sounds good, but I have to be honest, I've not read it yet myself. I'm trying to get hold of a copy. When I do, when I've read it, then I shall give a review on that book on this podcast. 
So I'd like to encourage people to donate, and I support Chris in his gesture, and I also support other people, like, for example, Aaron Distillery, who's come along alongside of Ben Ryak, Baladnock, Glendronach, Mitchell's Glengyle, Kilhoman, and Springbank, who have got together to create a whisky called the Spirit of Unity, available online from Royal Mile Whiskies and Lock Fine Whiskies, um, with the hope to raise £50,000 for Japan and also to New Zealand as well. And I applaud all these people for doing that sort of stuff. But there's something else. From my point of view, I'm wanting to move the focus away from these disasters for a moment because there is something else I want to focus on. I want to actually look at Japan's whiskies. Well, some of them anyway. When I first became interested in whisky quite some time ago, there was, in my world, Scotch, and then in the background, there was a small amount of Irish. American whisky hadn't entered my world, but bourbon, well, I'd heard about that through films. And there was Canadian Club, and, well, to be honest, that was about it. And I don't think that that was different for many other people of the age I was at that point, those early adults in that area that I lived at that time in the world. Now, I began to look at alcohol back then due to my job and also an interest I had at that time. Japanese whiskey was just not on my radar. It was not there for me in any way at all. If it had been, I doubt if my immature mind and ignorance would have let me see it as anything more than either a joke or a curiosity at best. But then again, I was an ignorant fool, because outside of my radar, there was not a quiet revolution happening. There is the emergence of a varied and developed giant of industry, a sector that was already developed and was about to challenge the world with its very high standards. As always, we need to travel back in time. Last week we went back as far as 1467. This week we need only go back to the 1920s. The story goes that a young Shinjiro Tori began to work in a pharmaceutical wholesalers at the young age of 13, a company that also traded in imported liquor. Now he soon developed a reputation for being good at blending the products and at 20 years of age started his own business importing food and wines. Now the story goes that he put spirit into an old wine cask to store it and then forgot about it for a while and then when he later tried it was so impressed by it that he began developing a passion for whiskey. Now I'm going to be honest I don't know if that story is true or not. What is true is that this man was responsible for Japan's oldest whiskey distillery the Yamazaki distillery also the producer of the first Japanese whiskey I ever tasted. This also gives me an excuse to travel back even further in time for a second. 
because Japan is known for its tea ceremonies, known as Charnoyo, created by Sen no Richia, who built his first tea house at a site where three rivers merged and the water was perfect for his needs. That was in the 16th century, and the place is the same site that Sinjiro Tori chose to build his first distillery. Sinjiro Tori was, without doubt, a businessman with vision, drive and passion. He was to found Japan's biggest whiskey company, Suntory, but he could not do this alone. There was one skill that he badly needed, the skill of distillation. The solution to this was to employ someone who understood his needs, could understand the local market and who knew how to distill. This came in the form of a man who had studied and trained as a distiller in Scotland, a man by the name of Masataka Takasuru. They were, however, to disagree on their preference for whisky taste. Sinjiro Tori preferred the lighter type of whisky. He could see the commercial preferences of an easy-to-drink blended whisky. Maybe due to the lack of other Japanese whisky, he was to find a shortage of other whiskies to blend with. The solution? Make lots of different types of whisky yourself and blend those. Now this is why Yamazaki has many more than one type of still. A little bit more about that later. Whilst a scotch may carry a character from a specific still, Yamazaki can carry many. You want the influence of a, a tall thin still? They've got one. You want a broad still with a bulb on it? They've got one. In fact, got almost all varieties, including a wash dill with wash dill written on it in English. Distillation began in 1924, and Japan's first whiskey, the white label or Shirufada, was launched. Mizataka Takasuri's palate leaned the other way. He tr he liked the heavier and peatier flavours, which is not too much of a surprise. Time spent in Scotland training as a, as a distiller would have introduced him to a range of flavours and the opportunity to get to know them in depth. So, in 1934, he left Suntory and started his own distillery. This was Yoichi, and marked the start of Suntory's biggest rival, the company of Nikka. Nikka's whiskey is, in contrast, the most recent Japanese whiskey that I have tasted and one that I'm going to taste again later. And my life, that whiskey was good. Nikka currently run a small family of blended malt whiskey. This is malt whiskey from its two distilleries blended together. The range includes a 12-year-old, a 17-year-old and a 21-year-old. Complex, floral, heather, smoke, sounds Scottish, but with an individual character of its own. This range, named after its founder, is called Nika Takitsura. Nika's two distilleries are Yoichi 
and Miyajiko, while Suntory's distilleries are Yamazaki and Hakushu, which was built in 1973 and celebrated 50 years of the Yamazuki distillery. Single malts are produced from both of these distilleries and carry the distillery name, and in addition they also blend the two to create Hibiki, the Hibiki range. And what a range it can produce with Yamazaki itself, having 12 different pot stills to draw from. Now, it would be a mistake to think that the story of Japanese whiskey starts and finishes with these two companies. There are more, but if they're not moved beyond the domestic market, how are people like myself to know of them? Another thing is that the whiskey market is not a calm pond alongside a raging sea of commerce. It has tides and storms. There are years of boom and years of bust. And this has been seen time and time again. And Japanese whiskey is not immune from this. A good domestic market supported the growth of industry. But a difficult international market and a slump in trading moved towards troubled times. Since 1988, there has been a decline in Japanese whiskey sales, and without sales, no industry survives. 2009 started to see an increase once more. Hope begins to emerge, and then Japan is hit by earthquake, tsunami, and radiation. The news reports are that the whisky industry is relatively unharmed. The distilleries either suffering little or no damage. The main problem could be consumer reaction. And I would ask that we respond positively, especially as our world is no longer made of national identities as much as it is international collaborations. The success or failure in one area of the world impacts on others so much. There was a time when I didn't know about Japanese whiskey. Then it was a novelty, something fresh and new. After that, it needed to survive on its own value, and on the international scene, that can be difficult. Different cultures have different preferences. The re-emergence of highball drinking in Japan would require a whisky suitable for that recipe. The preference of Mizawa, the way of mixing water and ice to whisky, lends itself to certain types of whisky. But this is where I think Japan could actually have an advantage. They have a flexibility to create a variety of whiskies. They have the ethos to keep it of a very high quality. And they understand yeast types and wood management, including the use of alternative barrels and Japanese oak to give it individuality. And they have a climate that enables potentially faster maturation, allowing a faster response to need. They can stand a good chance of survival, but it's not a certainty. Other markets are also emerging, with India and Taiwan gaining reputation, 
not to mention Australia, about to launch out far more internationally. As I said earlier, Centauri and Nika are not the only names in the game. Sadly, there are others who have already come and gone before I could meet them. And these include Hanyu. The Akutu family built the distillery in the early 1940s, but whiskey production really kicked off in 1980. When it went under in 2000, the founder's grandson, Ikaru Akutu, was allowed to buy back maturing stock. Now he managed to buy, I think it's about 400 casks, and they are being released in a series of 53 forms, one for each card in a deck of playing cards. The whiskies are called Ikaru's Mort card and each one features a different playing card. Ikaru has also opened a new distillery, the newest in Japan, and is called Chichibu, and this has plans to use Japanese peat in the production of its whisky. Another one is Sinshu whisky, began in 1960 but stopped 1992. However, recent reports suggest that fresh input of funding could see this distillery producing again very soon. Now, to give example of how things can go off the radar, let's look at Kirin, because that should be very much on the radar. A company with two distilleries, but it seems to have a policy of serving more the domestic market rather than export, or at least it, it did have. Lots of potential, characteristic malts, but an emphasis on blending. One distillery is sited on the base of, and gets its actual water from, Mount Fiji. Now it's got great marketing potential. The bottles themselves are beautiful, but the promotion is careful and reserved, and maybe that is what they need to do to survive. I just wish there was some there available for me to try. Because it looks like it would be fantastic. It looks like it would be just up my street. Keep an eye out also for a Kashi single malt. A distillery founded back in 1919. Yeah, 1919. But not as a whiskey distillery. That didn't happen until 2007. But I want to finish this little section here with a basic question. If malt whiskey is produced by malting a grain and then making that into a wash and distilling it in a pot still, and if grain whiskey is produced by making a wash from unmalted grains and distilling that in a continuous still, what happens if you make a wash from malted barley and then distill it in a continuous still? Well, the answer to that is a lot of discussion and a label that reads single coffee malt, thanks to Nicker. Now, this episode is focused on malt distilleries, but there is more. Suntory have a continuous still at Cheetah and produce a cheetah distillery grain bottling. Nika had one at the now-closed Nishinomiya, and the closed Kawasaki distillery produced grain whiskey 
now in the possession of Ikaru Akutu and bottled in 2009 as part of his Ikaru's choice. The problem is, on my wall atlas, Japan looks very small. Britain is almost always shown much bigger than it actually is and Japan is but a thin strip of land far away. The reality is different. Just as Britain is not as big as it seems, so Japan is not as small as it looks. It is a country of culture and variety and so is its whisky. The standard of quality is high and the range is wide. The whisky is a product of science and study with care for traditional methods, but it is also, it has a range of individual characters. Even the bottles show this, with a range of bottles from those that look like wine to those that look like medicine, and there are Scotch lookalikes as well. And in addition to that, there are those that are distinctively not Scottish. Now that's not to say that everything is always as in good taste as it might sound from this podcast. Just do a search for Ocean Whiskey Japan to see rather risky whiskey labels in a way that clearly would not be politically correct in today's world. Now for more information on that, or for Japanese whiskey in general, I would would suggest going to the blog site nonjata.blogspot.com and nonjata is spelled N-O-N-J-A-T-T-A and you'll find a lot more information and up-to-date information about Japanese whiskey there. Now I said earlier that the most recent Japanese whiskey I had tasted was from Nikka and I did that at Whiskey Live London. Right. These are the first the Nikka Yoichi. It is the first distillery. It is founded in the 1934. Okay. And this is uh, the whiskey from the, this distillery is very peaty and salty, and smoky. And another one is uh, this is Miyagi Kyo Distillery. This right. is the second distillery for Nikka. It was founded in 1969. Okay. And the whiskey from this distillery is very mellow and soft and elegant. Okay. Which do you think is the one that is perhaps more individual, the one that stands out by itself? Ah, uh, it's difficult, but because our the future and the good point of Nika is that we can. Um, produce both type of whiskey okay. in now in one company, yeah. and we, so that's why we can um, produce a fine blended malt whiskey, which are awarded the world best blend or something like that. Yeah. So this is our this is the Nika. Okay. Uh, can I try some? Sorry. Yeah. Unfortunately, we we we, ha- we don't have twenty one because we have running out. So, so this is twenty seventy. Right. Thank you very much. Now, would 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 this be your favourite one? My favourite. Personally, my favourite is uh, this single uh, from Mika from the bar. This is the best seller in Europe. Yeah. Yes. So people like this taste and design. Yeah. Now last year, 
I tasted a Japanese whiskey with my daughter Faith and that went out on an episode I think it's episode number 21 called What No Whiskey um, and I'm going to replay just a little bit of that now just to get our memory back to what that Yamazaki whiskey tasted so what we're going to do is we're going to taste a whiskey yeah? yeah and the first thing we do with that is having a little look at it Right, I want you to do some work here. What colour? Describe what it looks like to me. Okay, I'd say it's quite a light colour compared to a lot of whiskies I've seen. You think so? Yeah, I think so. It's quite translucent. See, I find this a Doesn't lovely, very thick. deep, ambery gold yeah. colour. It's got this lovely, bronzy, golden, rich colour to it and when I turn it gently in the glass and you see the bits coming down the legs the legs thin minor thin yeah they're quite thin slow and slow wide apart and I think that looks really nice that's a lovely clear whiskey so let's have a smell and see what we pick up on the nose okay it's got quite subtle smells to it like it doesn't immediately come across as being a really strong smell. No, it's quite right. It's a very subtle. It's a nice subtle nose. You have to get your nose right in there. But there is a little hint of heather. There are some floral notes there. There's a slight, slight smell of lavender to it, I find. But there's also, in underneath that flowery smell, there's a slight mustiness. The smell you get from sniffing a mattress really hard. I, I'm actually, to be honest, Dad. Yeah. <laughs> finding it hard to pick up the the level of smells that you're picking up because you've got a lot more experience than me because it's really very subtle on the nose. It's hard also, for me to find out those layers. I've also got a bigger nose than yours as well. <laughs> now then, this is. I can't remember if you named the whiskey yet. This is Yamazaki Single Malt. 10 year old and how strong is this whiskey face? It's Japanese. Um, it's 40%, 40% by volume. Yeah it is. Is that strong? No it's it's, it's the starting point really for whiskey. Um, and yeah it's Japanese. It's it is Japanese. from the southern part of Japan. Mm. Now bear this in mind Faith it's a Japanese whiskey. Yeah. Do you want to toast anybody as you take your first sip of it <laughs> okay I'll t toast my best friends from Japan Mana and Martha Froiland <laughs> but they have a Norwegian name but they're Japanese well the recommendation from Whiskey Live was for Nika's Whiskey from the Barrel and in the tasting of the Yamazaki that I did with my daughter back at Christmas time, she toasted a Japanese friend called Marta. Now, since that occasion, Marta has come over to England and spent some time with us and cooked us an absolutely wonderful Japanese meal. Now, what better way to finish such a meal than with a glass of that recommended Nikka whiskey from the bowel? Marta doesn't drink so she didn't join us for the for the tasting but for the second time in this series of podcasts Marta 
we toast you. So this is Nikka whiskey from the barrel, 51.4% ABV, and what a strange little cuboid bottle that it is. Yeah, 50 centilitres in the bottle as opposed to the normal 70 centilitres. And before we open this, this... How old is it? No age statement, Joe. Before we open this, what I would call almost a scientific sample-looking bottle. I like it, with its little metal screw top on the top. How would you describe that colour? Toffee-ish. It's a dark toffee, if you can say toffee. Bonfire toffee. Oh, it's got a very slight red hue yeah. to it in there. Cherry. I think it's almost like a walnut wood colour. Or possibly, a, yeah, a, yeah, treacle, dark cherry wood. Anyway. Last time you and I, Faith, tasted a Japanese whiskey together, we recorded it for a podcast, and you had a little dedication, a little toast to your two Japanese friends, one of which was Marta, who has just cooked us a Japanese meal. So in honour to her, we're going to try this Japanese whiskey. It's more of an alchemical bottle shape rather than a scientific one. Alchemical. In, si in science, they keep things in those big flasks with the long flutes and test tubes and stuff. It's more like something that they have on a store shelf in an apothecary. In a pharmacy or something in like an that. Apothecary. And, yeah, an old. Yeah. I'll go along with that. Anyway. It's very difficult. I'm finding it hard to get legs on it. Very small, little beads. That's quite nicely perfumed, I think. Like an aftershave, like a gent's aftershave. A slight bay rummish. That's got quite a powerful nose, actually. You can't keep your nose in that glass for too long. Tasted some. Actually, it's legging up now. And they're wide apart, quite thin. <laughs> um, and nice and slow. I'm picking up a little bit of a sharp toffee nature, almost bonfire toffee on the nose. I can't smell anything in particular. Can't you? No. I think it's full of aroma. It's got some spice in there, it's got some toffee in there. I can smell kind of a generic woodiness, but nothing. Yeah, fresh sappiness. What are those uh, biscuits around like this? And red, ready coloured nips. Ginger nut. And then nuts. No, they're not that. They're soft, Mum loves them. There you go. Amaretti. Amaretti. Smells like Amaretti biscuit. Mmm. Oh, wow. I like the taste, though. Strong. That is strong. That has got a, quite a mouthfeel. In fact, it makes <laughs> your mouth water as you're speaking. Mmm. <coughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, that is a that's so full of flavour, isn't it? That is strong, got a bit of burn to it. Really strong mouthful all over the mouth. But having said that, despite the fact it's so full of mouthfeel, it's, it's also it's also got that smooth honeycombed. It's an intense honeycomb flavour to it, like you get with you know those. Um, like crunchy bars, 
but really intense. I was going to say like spiced honeycomb or something. Mm. Now there is a spice in there as well, but what is that? It's not quite aniseed. It's like a cross between aniseed and cumin seed. No, it's, a, it's like a really, really intense licorice, but it's so intense it sort of takes it out of being normal licorice and into something like a really neat aniseed or something like that. I like it. There's a pity. It's like all my favourite whiskies where it makes you. You can breathe in the fumes after you've drunk it and it's mm. still like, it's like a second wind. Do you know, I've got a funny taste of, of like a lemony type thing then. I'll tell you what it is like. It's like um, lemon lockets. So what is it? Almost like a mentholy. I don't know if it's the alcohol that's in it, but that mentholy aroma that comes in with the flavour. It's got a sweetness and yet a sharpness like you get with a really intense lemony sweet with a little bit of mm, clove, perhaps. Perhaps it's clove. Not getting that. Maybe, maybe clove at a stretch, but I wouldn't have. Well, maybe I'm just struggling to try to find the right association to a flavour that is actually something I'm not that familiar with, that, such as Japanese oak or. To me, it tastes like a herb that I've tried before. I can't remember the I think cherry. You said cherry colour before. I think it's kind of. Almost cherryish, the aftertaste. Well, the important thing is, do we like it? I like it. I do. Yeah, because it's big. What's that look for? Big flavour. Big flavour. Big impact. Big mouthfeel. Big smell. It's lingering nice and long. I'm actually not too sure how much the flavour develops after a while. No. no, it doesn't. It just kind of permeates. But it does give a nice long afterburn to you. You certainly feel warmed up by it. I like it though. Yeah. It's big and it's fumey and it's... And it's unique and oh, I think yeah. that's one of the reasons why I've struggled trying to find the right descriptors for it because I think it is unique and that's one of the things I really like about this. Thanks for burping into the mic Joe. Sorry. That is one of the things I really like about this is I do like a, a whiskey that has got his own individual character. And that is what this is. And I'm really impressed that you've got some of it. It's such a full mouth feel, but at the same time, is actually really nicely honeyed. It's almost meaty, I think. When I moved it more around, got really metallic, metallic uh, taste. Actually, I think you're quite right with that meatiness. I think you're right there. I was going to say lavender before, and then I smelled it again, and then I didn't. I've never actually had any before, but there is a drink called methaglin, which is supposed to be like a very, very strong form of mead, and I could well imagine that this would be a very similar taste. But, so I've never had methaglin, but I could imagine it being a bit like this. I think this is really nice. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Morted Muse podcast. If anybody wants to contact me, please do so. The email address is, as always, jim at themaltedmuse.com. I don't read out all the emails that get sent in to me, but I do 
respond to all of them. So if at any point you send me an email and you don't get a response, please send it again because there's a chance that it hasn't come through. Um, the other way of contacting me is through the website, themaltednews.com, where there's the contact form. Um, but here's a little thought. Rather than spend time contacting me this week, why not contact the Red Cross instead? The Red Cross are doing the Japanese Tsunami Appeal and the website www.redcross.org.uk but there are other nationalities of the Red Cross around that you can go direct to their websites and that is really just a starting point for people who want to donate to help out um, the Japanese disaster that's going on. Then of course there's more mundane ways of doing that as well. For example, on the day of recording this part of the podcast my wife and I sat down and we have ordered online two Japanese whiskies. Um, that might not sound like a donation and it's not a donation but it is something that we're doing because we want to support that industry it's not just to do with donations direct through the Red Cross there's other things as well I think really it's that combination please do donate but at the same time support the industry as well and there's selfish reasons of course there is you know Buying two bottles of Japanese whiskey is going to give me great pleasure. And when I get that great pleasure, I will give a review about it, pass that on through the podcast. And it's only a small thing. The main thing at the moment is donate because, you know, help's needed. Anyway, enough of that for now. Thank you ever so much for listening to this episode of the Morton Muse podcast. And I hope you listen again next week. And... If anybody's going to Whiskey Live Dublin, I shall be going there. I hope to see you there. If you see me, do come up, do say hello, do tell people about the More to Muse podcast. And until next time, goodbye. Um.